Hey, everybody. Welcome to Car Thoughts with David. I'm your host, as always, David Calvert. And I'd like to introduce uh, my guest here. Uh, his name is Chris Clues, and he wrote the book, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. I hope I got that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Trying to read right. this off a piece of paper. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, um, Chris, if you'd like to introduce yourself and uh, just tell us a little bit about the book and how it was inspired, and uh, we'll get started. Sure. That sounds great. So, uh, David, I really appreciate you having me on. I know we, uh, we connected on LinkedIn about uh, a month ago or so. Uh, we're in the same conversation. So, it's great to finally uh, have an opportunity to be on your show, so I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I'm actually, um, the head of marketing for a, a company called DHL Resilience 360, which is a software division inside of the larger global brand DHL. Uh, and prior to that, I was, um, I've been in marketing for just a little over 20 years. That's it, call it 23 years, which makes me feel really, really old. And, uh, I've always enjoyed writing. I was, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, in a position basically like most of us have been, I think, in our careers at some point, we're just kind of figuring out who you are and what you're doing and whether you're in the right spot or not. And I came home uh, from work one day just kind of having, I don't know if you would call it like a self-pity party of one, but I guess that's what it was. And I uh, I decided to uh, turn on The Breakfast Club, which is one of my, my favorite movies from the 80s. And there's a moment where Judd Nelson's character, uh, Bender, says that screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And it really resonated with me at the time. My screws had kind of fallen out um, in, in the things that I was doing, and I sat up, and it just caught my attention, and I started thinking that, man, you know, I'm I'm in this spot right now, and actually in the business world, the screws, screws fall out all the time, and it's really what do you do when those screws fall out? How do you put them back in? When do you put them back in? Do you find a creative way to do it? Um, do you just put them right back in the way they were before? And I, I just started thinking about it in that context and decided to write an article on LinkedIn uh, titled What the Breakfast Club Taught Us About Today's Workplace. And I got really a really good response to it. Surprise, I was shocked at the response I received. And so I decided to write another one, uh, Ferris Bueller and what he taught us about work-life balance. And that one went off as uh, well also. And so I decided uh, maybe I have something there and I wrote a book. Uh, I took 10 movies from the 80s and dissected the business lessons from them for today's workplace. And being an 80s kid myself, um, it was very easy for me to do the research because it was really just going into my brain and trying to remember all the things that were great about my childhood and the movies, the characters, et cetera. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, that's one thing that I think that movies today sometimes lack is all the movies from the 80s have these, like, morality tales that you could just easily adapt to life and to – um, and, and to business, as your book uh, shows. Um, and, I mean, like The Breakfast Club, I think all of us at some point in our life were one of those characters. <laughs> the jock, the, 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 the rebel, the, you know, we, we all had these different points in our lives where we could say, yeah, you know, because the, the whole line, you know, screws fall all the time, the world's an imperfect place. I mean, I, I know that there are several times where I've just made smart and i like myself. <laughs> And, and yeah. there's so many great movies to draw from. I mean, I definitely see that you could definitely keep this going. I love that you put, like, mixtape number one on the front of the book because I can definitely see, I mean, so many movies that I was thinking of as I was reading your book, um, you know, that I was like, wow, you know, this one and this one and this one, these would be great books. So, you know, it's um, it really resonated being a, a kid of the 80s myself and, you know, 
definitely um, growing up watching those movies over and over and over again. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I, yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, the, the movies from the 80s, one of the things that I talk about is, you know, how, why the 80s? And I, I think, well, first of all, that, that was my, you know, I was 10 through 19. It was my really formative years in the 80s. And also uh, the idea that the 80s was, it was really the last decade where you had to tell a great story and have great character development for the movie to work. I mean, remember that that was back in the day when a movie would run in a theater sometimes for 26 or 30 weeks. And the only outlet that it had was your local video store at some point. And if I recall, sometimes it might have take, it would take up to six months before a really good movie was actually out on video after it left the theater. And so they had to tell these great stories. And the one thing um, that they didn't have was CGI. You know, we talk about these incredible special effects today. If your story isn't going anywhere, if your plot isn't very good, if the character development isn't working, if the acting isn't very good, you can just throw a bunch of CGI in there and then people walk away and go, man, you got to see that movie in the theater. It was amazing. Uh, they didn't have that in the 80s. So I think that's part of it is that they had to tell, they had to spin really great stories, which in return um, provides, us with, provides us with a lot of great lessons about the workplace of life. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, which is funny, um, you mentioned that about, you know, CGI and everything. You know, my wife actually works at a movie theater, and um, we went to see Transformers the last night in Dolby. Uh, which is one of the newest iterations of uh, projectors. It has laser projection versus light projection and subwoofers in the chairs. I mean, it's got all the bells and whistles and everything that they can come up with to create a in immersive movie-going experience. And I tell people, I said, if you ever watch a movie or you ever get a chance to watch a movie in Dolby, like Transformers The Last Night was awesome to watch in it because it had all these explosions and CG. And, I mean, everything looked really pretty, and it sounded good, and you were sitting there, like, felt like you were in a massage chair the whole time. But the movie was terrible. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't exactly. that great. Um, but it was fun because, you know, I got a really good back massage, and, uh, you know, I saw a lot of explosions, and, you know, that was cool. But back then, like you said, it was all reliant on the story, and you had all these great storytellers that just wanted to take you to I mean I feel like it was almost like more like books in a way where you kind of had to delve into your imagination and fill in the blanks sometimes you know some things were just left up to you know us as the audience to figure out and that's what kept us kept drawing us in because like you said those movies were out there in theaters for so long and some of them you know I mean I remember waiting for VHS tapes to come out for some of these movies just sitting there like, how many more months is it going to take before this comes out? You know, now it's like a couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's, the, the you know, the storyline, um, the, the storyline, the plot, the character development, all of it had to work. And um, if it didn't, then the movie didn't do well. And so uh, that's that's really why when I looked at these 80s movies and I started really dissecting them, it didn't take very much to say, wow, there's some really great lessons in here. And, you know, even just a couple of words in some of these movies um, can teach us a great lesson uh, about the workplace. Absolutely, yeah. Like at the beginning of your your book, the uh, the quote from Ferris Bueller, you know, the life moves pretty fast, uh, so if you don't slow down to or stop to take a look around every once in a while, you know, you'll miss it. I mean, that's just an iconic thing that that pretty much everybody who works a corporate job of some sort really needs to do because we get caught up in these these like oh you know it's crunch time we've got to get all this stuff done and we've got a deadline and all this and we just we forget about everything else that's going on around us 
Yeah, and even um, and you're exactly right. And then even things like, for example, ET. You know, when ET said "be good," the last two words that he said to um, to Gertie and Elliot at the end of the movie. And so here here we are, just two simple words: "be good." Uh, but what that really taught us was about social responsibility, and it taught us what what ET was saying to Gertie and 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 uh, Elliot was, you know, be good, be good to each other, be good to your planet, uh, be good to the environment, be good to yourselves. And so. Um, just from two simple words. And then from that, you can extract that, you know, corporations have really um, kind of taken on the mantle of social responsibility in the last decade, even to the point where they're allowing their you know, employees, rather than having to take vacation time sometimes to go volunteer or go on a mission or do whatever it is that, that their calling is for, you know, the environment or, or what have you, they can do that without taking uh, vacation. And they can, you know, the, the, the companies are actually supporting them in this effort. And even further to that, there are companies now that are building their model, their business model, based on giving back or based on social responsibility. And they're also profitable, by the way, in terms of, like, the company doing well. And the better the company does, the more they can give away. So things, companies like Tom's and Warby Parker and UB, these are companies that were built on models of giving back. And the better they do, the more they can give back. But ultimately, they were like, hey, we want to we build a company where we can say we're being – you know, we're, we're being good stewards uh, to other to, 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 the, to the earth. We're being good stewards to the human race. Um, we're being good stewards overall. And, you know, we're going to have a really good business model. We're going to work really hard. We're going to put great people in place because the better we do, the better everyone does. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, even, um, you know, flock to, you know, those types of businesses because they see what is being done by those companies. So it's it's like, a, you know, I see the good that this company is doing, so therefore I want to support them, so I'm going to shop uh, with them. And, you know, so it, it's, it's a whole, you know, symbiosis that gets created by those two simple words of be good, um, you know, as uh, as our culture realizes that hey we need to start thinking about the planet and you know how we're how we're leaving it for the future generations you know to come yeah absolutely and it's an important message obviously and and there are some you know there's some some lighter ones as well in some of the movies or I wouldn't maybe not lighter but um, issues that are important in the workplace not maybe as important globally but important in the workplace and. So there are things like Say Anything, you know, Say Anything is a classic Cameron Crowe movie, um, John Cusack playing Lloyd Dobler, who is one of my favorite characters of all time by far, uh, just everything about Lloyd Dobler. And there's a moment where, uh, you know, the iconic scene where he holds the the phone box above his head and uh, outside of his, you know, sweet blue Malibu and uh, plays uh, Peter Gabriel in your eyes so that she can hear it through the window, um, the girl that he's fallen in love with. And uh, I talk about that in the book as well, how it was really about taking the dare. And that's what he did. Um, you know, he took the dare and he, you know, he wanted a moment to be great, as you said. And um, I think in our workplace, not enough of us take the dare. And what I mean by that is, you know, are you doing the things that kind of get the company by or get you get by on your job or the project? Or are you really thinking about how can I do something where, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk, a little bit of a dare. I'm going to do something different. But, man, if this works, in the modern day, in the modern terms, it'll go viral. 
you know, he didn't have that luxury back in 1988, I believe, or 89. Um, he didn't have that luxury of the whole coin kind of going viral thing. But he went beyond kind of the, the, you know, the standard flowers and chocolate and said, how do I get her attention? How do I make this person or let this person know how much they mean to me? And what is it that I can do to stand out? And as a marketer myself, I'm always looking at ways for our company to stand out, to be different, to be viral. And so often, you know, we want to, as marketers, take the dare. I just think sometimes we're afraid to because we look at the formula, we look at what works, and we say, well, this is working, let's just keep doing it. But what if we were to say, let's, you know, let's take some risks, let's let's take the dare and see if we may have some peaks and valleys, but, man, those peaks are going to be pretty tremendous. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, I think, honestly, with saying anything that same right there, for as much as something could have gone viral in the 80s, I mean, it definitely was. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody who doesn't remember seeing that that shot, that that moment uh, in the film. Um, you know, that I mean, that's like the most iconic moment. And it, like you said, it's all about taking that dare and going out there and doing something out of the box that grabs people's attention and something. No matter what they do, they'll remember. You know, and, and that's very true in the marketing world because there's so much noise out there. You've got to find ways to stand out and stand apart from your competition and to show people that you're willing to do things that are unorthodox or different, um, you know, to make a difference. Very true. Yeah, and, yeah it's, and, it's, and it's more than ever today because there are the tools out there to allow us to stand out, to allow us to be different, to allow us to have a voice. Great example. We're sitting on this podcast today, you and I. You you created this podcast. You couldn't have done this ten years ago, twenty years ago. You know, if you wanted if you wanted an outlet for you know what would be a radio show in the past, you needed to have a license, a broadcaster. You needed to get a job at a radio station. Uh, maybe you had a local AM station that you could pay for time, uh, but that was about it. And now you have this great outlet and this avenue to really express your creative side. And you have these podcasts that you've put together. And for me, you know, I was able to go out and self-publish my own book. Uh, that's not something I would have been able to do 10, 15, 20 years ago. It, it didn't exist in, in the form that it does today. And if I wanted to get my book published, I had to go through a publisher. And the chances of them even paying attention to me or even reading my, my, you know, my synopsis or, or an email that I sent or a letter that I sent even before email was slim to none. And now I have this great outlet. I can self-publish my own book. I did it. I also have an I have a publisher now who's actually re, re, uh, revamping the book and is going to relaunch it with much more distribution than I could have ever dreamed of through self-publishing. But without self-publishing, without that tool, this would have never happened for me either. I'm convinced. So, absolutely. And as I'm working on writing my book, you know, I, I think the the exact same thing. You know. Um, because I'm writing a science fiction novel, there's hundreds of thousands of them. It's not exactly like, you know, it's an original thought to write a science fiction book. So, you know, having that tool of self-publishing at my disposal really gives me the um, the means wherewith to actually, you know, uh, get, get my book out there and then maybe, you know, a publisher – uh, we're about ready to be on episode of Pops. Are you getting pulled over? <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, turns out he was, uh, I guess, uh, 
there's probably an accident up ahead or something. Oh, uh, okay. It didn't look like he was chasing anybody. But yeah, so I mean, that's that's very true. The the opportunities we have today to be creative in new and unorthodox ways are are just you know so amazing, and uh, to be able to do things like this, um, probably you know one of my favorite chapters uh, or parts of the book because I'm just such a huge fan of Back to the Future was the Back to the Future chapter. Um, and I love that you talked about Doc and, and kind of followed him more than Marty because I feel like a lot of the story kind of revolved around him. Marty was just kind of the the vessel wherewith Doc's story was told. And so I thought that was really cool. So can you tell me something about your thought process on, on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Back to the Future, um, great movie. And you're right. I, I did focus a little more on, on Doc Brown than I did on Marty McFly. And I think because – in all honesty, his character was a little bit deeper, or I should say a lot deeper, than Marty McFly. I mean, Marty got caught up in this whole thing really by accident, and Doc Brown, um, albeit you know some of it by accident, really kind of created this whole environment that McFly found himself in. So that's kind of why I focused on Doc Brown. Plus, I thought he just had some really interesting lessons. I mean, Marty's lesson was really like, you know, try to he was trying to get back to the future and really didn't have, I don't know how many lessons were, in there beyond, you know, if you get a chance to play with Chuck Berry, um, don't try to turn into Eddie Van Halen, you know, just stay, stay the course. Um, but I do think that Doc Brown taught us some really great lessons about, um, in particular, uh, I thought what was really interesting about uh, Doc Brown was that he had this, you know, this idea of, you know, the be a visionary idea that we talk about so much today. And we, we talk about the different people that we consider visionaries and how to be a visionary. And Doc Brown was uh, a visionary back in 1985. I mean, remember he, at the very end where he said, uh, you know, roads where we're going, we don't need roads. I mean, he, he, had, he was already looking forward and knowing what he believed or believing what the future held. And the great thing was he had such a belief, and this is the lesson really for, for leaders. He had such a belief in where he wanted to go and the path that he wanted to take, that even if it sounded crazy, he could get people to follow him because they believed in him. And that's really what it comes down to is you can plan, you can, you can create the, the best, best path for the future, the best vision for your company, but if, if people that work for you don't believe in you, then they're not going to follow. They're not going to follow it. But if, you, if, you are, if you're a believable person because you're an honest person with integrity and you tell the truth, and you believe in where you're going, and sometimes it's a matter of telling the people on your team and being honest, saying, listen, I believe in where we're going. I, I really don't know if we're going to get there. I believe that we can, but I don't know because this is the future and this is the path that I've set out, and I believe in it. I, I don't know for sure we're going to get there, but let's give it a shot. That honesty and transparency and openness is really what's going to get people to follow you rather than the idea that, I'm gonna. We're gonna do all of these things, and we're gonna. And, and I think people use I instead of we more often than they should when they're leaders. So a lot of people say, "I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do that, and you guys are gonna do this with me." And then when it doesn't happen, people are let down because you told them um, to a fault that this was where we were going to go. And when it doesn't happen, people feel let down. But if you if you're open about things and you let people in and you say, you know, I'm human, we're human, none of us are perfect, but I believe in this vision, and I, I I'm hoping that we as a team can go get this together. I think that's why Doc Brown was such a great character because he showed his, he showed his, his, his human side. He showed his flaws and he was willing to admit when he thought he made a mistake. 
And that, that's a big part of being a visionary, is not being afraid to say you made a mistake. Yeah, very true, very true. And, I mean, you know, when you were starting to talk about that, the first thing I thought of was, like, at Back to the Future 2, where, you know, uh, Doc drives up and he's like, you know, hey, we've got to go to 2015. And and, uh, and then, you know, uh, Jessica's there, or Jennifer's there, and, uh, you know, she she's like, where are you guys going? And he's like, you know, bring her along, too. She's a part of this. You know? So he was he was a visionary, but he also recognized, like, okay, you know, this is – and he was so charismatic. They just got into the car with him didn't really ask many questions. You know, they are just like, okay, yeah. let's go, you know. Even though, you know, this was the first time for her actually seeing this weird spaceship-looking you know, a uh, car that just drove up and this guy hops out that knows Marty and she might not even really know who Doc Brown was. And then, um, you know, of course, how, um, you know, how Doc, you know, always was up front, you know, every time when he built a model, he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to paint it or it's not to scale. You know, he always was up front, like you said, and, and made everyone aware, like, listen, this is the best I can do with the tools I had but this is what my plan looks like. And, you know, if everything works, you know, it, you know, we'll, uh, we'll succeed. And, you know, that was part of his openness and transparency as well. So, you know, very, very good points. And, you know, that, what you said evoked those thoughts uh, for me. And, you know, that's what a good book should do is build um, this openness and this creativity and this imagination where you start to see other ideas or other aspects of it as you're reading it or in this case on the podcast listening to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, I, and I appreciate that. And that was the idea. And I mean, the other, the other lesson that we got out of back to the future was, you know, the idea that you should answer every challenge. And I think that comes from, you know, when we think about uh, Doc Brown and Marty McFly and specifically getting McFly back to the future, uh, and Doc Brown says to him, don't worry, as long as you hit that wire with the connecting hook at precisely 88 miles per hour, the instant the lightning strikes the tower, everything will be fine. And, I mean, how many of us have felt that way in our jobs, in our workplace on a project, where it's just like, you just think, you're given this project or you're given this, this part of your job, and you look at it and you think, how, how is this going to happen? How am I going to get this done? Is, is this actually impossible? And when you think about the idea that you could hit a wire with a connecting hook at 88 miles per hour the instant the lightning strikes the tower, that's how you're going to get back to the future. I do think that we can all relate to that in our, in, in our jobs as well. We've all had those types of projects where we think this is just not going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to uh, fulfill the needs of this project and be successful based on what's being provided to me. And so um, – I don't like to use the word impossible, but that's what we kind of think of, like lots of moving parts, unreasonable timing, an untested resource, or one opportunity to get it right. And, you know, I, I, I say in the book, as you said, as, as you know, to kind of talk about another movie, I say in the book, let me put it this way, if Patrick Swayze can go from nerd extraordinaire in the 1987 classic romantic comedy Can't Buy Me Love to the dapper and handsome Dr. McDreamy in television show Grey's Anatomy, well, nothing is impossible. And, uh, and it's true. You know, it may seem insurmountable, but you have to take a step back and kind of just take it in pieces. Don't try to look at it, all of it and say, I've got to do all of this together right now. Take it in pieces. Take, you know, the, the idea that you have to hit the wire first. Then you have to get to 80 miles first. Then you have to hit the wire, and you have to make sure that the lightning striking piece by piece by piece instead of looking at it as a whole kind of complex answer 
And when we do that, we get overwhelmed, and then we feel like we can't finish the project. And, and again, just remember, Patrick Dempsey went from a nerd to Dr. McDreamy. So um, I would say that nothing's impossible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. That's actually something I've been talking about a little bit on my show, uh, building up to this one. Chunks, and I kind of took the same route writing my book as uh, as you did with uh, starting out writing it in, in bits, writing articles or short uh, blog posts. And then I was like, wait a second, this could actually be a book. Um, and, and that's the thing is a lot of people, like you said, they think, oh, my goodness, I've got to do all of this, and I've got to close this million-dollar deal or whatever it is that they're working on. And it just seems absolutely impossible. But if you actually look at just from – okay, I've got to complete these steps in order, and as long as I do them all correctly, hit the wire, you know, 88, hit the wire, uh, lightning strikes, I go back home, you know. Yeah, uh, that's it. You know, I'm there. I think they call it, like, digestible chunks, right? I mean, that's what you're trying to do. And um, if you don't break things into digestible chunks, then you're going to, you know, you're going to overwhelm yourself. And, and then, of course, you have to have a manager or a leader. If you're not the manager or leader, if you are the manager or leader, make sure you're allowing your team to, to, to get things done in digestible chunks or to focus on things like that. If you're the person uh, who's doing the, the tactical work and your manager or leader isn't giving you the opportunity to do that, then you really have to take a step back and say, okay, am, am I in the right pos- position to be successful? Very true. Very true. And that's um... – you know, kind of also is, is you know, having that right attitude uh, kind of uh, ties into one of the other movies, which is a huge favorite of mine, which is uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And you talk about uh, the salesmanship skills and uh, and, and the uh, that never-give-up attitude and, and having those right tools, you know, available, uh, you know, to sell anything to anyone. Yeah, and so I, you heard me kind of chuckle when you said Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because – I can't help but smile every time I think of that movie because I think of John Candy and Del Griffith. And I never met John Candy, but I want to believe that there was so much of him and Del Griffith, just the character himself. He's just such an easy guy to like. And um, and that's why he was such a great salesman in the movie, Del Griffith. And I think, uh, you know, you, you every company needs a great salesman to be successful. And sometimes the great salesman is the person who started the company. It's, it's you. It's the entrepreneur. It's the, it's the leader. Um, who's the great salesperson who makes the company what it is. Uh, but eventually, as that company grows, you're going to have to give way to somebody else who's going to sell your vision and help you sell your vision. And you need a great salesperson. Even as a marketing person, I know that no matter how well I market, no matter how good a job I do with brand awareness and lead generation, if we don't have a good sales team or a good salesperson, we're not going to be successful. And uh, and that's what Del Griffith showed. I mean, listen, the guy was selling shower curtain rings as earrings to raise money for them um, at a bus stop. And that's how good of a salesman he was. And part of it was because he was so affable and he was so likable and he was very, very passionate about his product. And I think more importantly, he was passionate. If you listen to him during the movie, he was passionate about his customers. And that's why his customers wanted to do things for him and help them along the way. Albeit sometimes it was really interesting ways that they chose to help them, like throwing them in the back of a pickup truck and, you know, as, John Candy said, or Steve Martin said to John Candy at one point, how, how, you know, what do you think the temperature is? And John Candy says one. Um, it's, you know, they weren't exactly in the best position sometimes, but these customers did what they could do to help them out. 
So uh, I think, yeah, plane trains, automobiles. And, you know, the other thing about plane trains, automobiles that it taught us, we, we learned something from both characters. We learned how to be optimistic from one character, and then we learned the downfalls of being a pessimist from the other. And that was, you know, uh, Neil Page, played by Steve Martin, who was really the complete opposite of John Candy. I mean, he was a successful guy, but he was so much – he was so very much a pessimist. And it took being around somebody like John Candy to make him realize – that, you know, the world was so much better and life was so much better when you just saw it with a little bit of optimism. Nobody's telling you, nobody's saying that you have to be a full optimist every single day of your life. But if you just look at things a little bit differently, just with a little bit of optimism, it can really change your approach to life, your family, and, and the workplace and your career. And he says it, too. He says, you know, as much trouble as I've had on this little journey, I'm sure one day I'll look back on it and laugh. And that's a quote that really stuck with me when it came to our career journeys. I think we all feel like sometimes we have some trouble in our career journeys. In fact, we feel like plane trains and automobiles sometimes. We feel like, you know, we're getting booted off a plane or the, the bus breaks down or the car catches on fire. We have all of these crazy things that happen. Or our seatmate in the office is, you know, the, the, not somebody that we really particularly want to sit next to, but we've got to do it just like we have on a plane. And I think we all feel like that. Our careers sometimes are spiraling out of control. I would look at it and say, when those things happen, think of Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid. And when he said, don't forget to breathe, very important. And I think that's sometimes what we forget. Uh, we're going to face a lot of challenges in our careers. And it's going to be more like the, the you know, chaotic and incredibly entertaining travels and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure than it will be kind of like the substantially less bumpy, bumpy traipses of the Golden Girls. And that's a good thing. I mean, anybody who thinks that their career is just going to kind of be, in the words of Madonna, you know, um, uh, a lucky star, um, that's just not the way that our, our most of our career paths happen, and we should embrace it. And one day you will look back and laugh. Uh, I can assure you of that because I've been doing this for 23 years now, and as frustrating as I could get sometimes at work and sometimes on projects, I do take a step back and kind of chuckle at some of the things I've been through. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is it's in today's workplace, you know, there's just so many wild and crazy adventures you have, uh, things yeah. that you never thought you might have ever done. Um, I can I can say, you know, in IT, uh, what I do in my day job is, you know, some of the stuff I've done, I'm just like, I would have never thought that I would end up, you know, <laughs> doing stuff like, for instance, I got sent out to the Outer Banks to convert four machines, four machines. I drove over 400 miles to convert four machines to Windows 10. <laughs> wow. You know, who, who's, whoever thinks that they're going to be on, on a journey like that, um, being, you know, an IT guy. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely always a lot of adventures, and you never know what's going to come around the corner next. And the best thing is to take that advice from Mr. Miyagi and just breathe. Um, yeah, and I don't think, forget to breathe. <laughs> you know, there were so many fantastic lessons in the Karate Kid just because, you know, the whole time Daniel was being trained, he had no idea he was being trained, <laughs> you know. That's and, right. That's uh, right. You know, finding a mentor like that is important as well on your journey, somebody who can help guide you without it being obvious that they're guiding you. Um, and that and that just may be in the next book. And by the way, you mentioned IT, that you're in IT. And so uh, I also do a lot of speaking um, at conferences and events on this very topic of what 80s pop culture teaches us about today's workplace. Uh, because it's kind of like, a, I don't know, it's a, it's a fun subject. People have fun with it. And, you know, before you get into a couple of days of kind of intense, serious conversations about uh, your industry or your career or your business, um, it's good to have a little bit of fun, too. And 
I have when you mentioned IT, what I do in the middle of these uh this, this these um um conversations at these uh, speaking engagements is I'll have some pop quizzes to keep the, the audience involved and, and uh, you know, excited about what we're talking about. And uh, what I'll do is I'll put up two business lessons from an 80s movie, and I'll say, if you can guess the movie, you get a prize. And if they can't guess the movie from the business lessons, then I'll start giving clues. Well, one of the movies from the 80s where I give two business lessons has to do with IT. And the first business lesson is um, to be uh, – that th- your craziest idea may just work be prepared or face the consequences. And the second lesson from that movie is to make sure to make friends with the IT team because they can make you look like a superhero or a pile of you know what. And um, if you have any idea what that movie is, those two business lessons. (laughs) Right now, I do not. Okay. (laughs) They are so So, familiar. I know it's on the tip of my tongue, but So, yeah. so basically, I would give you like four different clues, but the, the movie is Weird Science. And, oh, um, okay, yes. <laughs> so <the idea laughs> you, you said I was like, oh god, I can't believe I didn't get that. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the movie Weird Science and the last um, speech I did, they got it within ten seconds being in the room because there's so many people. But it was really cool because it meant that they were engaged. And the first uh, clue, obviously, is look here's um, Wyatt and Gary. And they, you know, essentially put bras on their heads to create a woman out of a computer, and they actually do it. And then once it happens, now they're, they don't know what to do. They didn't have a plan. This was a crazy idea that they never thought would work, and it did. And they had to face a lot of consequences because they didn't have a plan. And so I think, you know, we think about that in, in our workplace, and we have these crazy, cool ideas. But just make sure when you throw it out there and you think about it, make sure you have a little bit of a plan, because otherwise you're going to spend too much time trying to kind of to face the consequences and fix the consequences. And then the other thing, of course, is, you know, when she, she is, I would consider the IT person, right? I mean, she's, she's come from a computer. She's, she's got all the power. And um, when Chet doesn't treat her or the boys well, uh, well, he ends up like a pile of you-know-what. And that's because, you know, she makes him into it. And so he has to apologize to get himself back. So uh, I, I just, you know, there's, there's lessons in every one of these 80s movies, every single one of them. Absolutely, yeah. So I think I think you've got many books to come, and and if anybody's <laughs> listening to this, yeah. definitely buy his first book uh, because it was fantastic. I think nice. I read it over the course of a day, and then went back and reread it uh, just a few days ago. So uh, so it would be kind of more fresh on my mind, and uh, I, I absolutely loved it. I'm looking forward to more. So <clears throat> beyond the book. Uh, what are some good ways people can get in touch with you and find out more uh, and engage you for speaking or, you know, finding out about these wonderful books, things like that? Thanks, David. I really, again, listen, I really appreciate you having me on. It means a lot to me that you would, um, you know, provide me with an outlet to talk about the book and talk about the other things that I'm doing. Um, so thank you for that. I, um, yeah, so I have a website, chrisclues.com, uh, C-H-R-I-S. C-L-E-W-S, chrisclues.com, and you can find a lot, all the information there. I have uh, my book up there. You can purchase it on Amazon through paperback and Kindle. Um, very shortly, it will be changing. At least the cover will be changing, and some of the um, inside will be changing a little bit as uh, the publisher finalizes the, the revised book for launch, which hopefully will be in a bookstore near you as well. Uh, and then um, on my website as well, there's a, uh, my contact information, my phone number, my email, a contact form if you're interested in, in doing it that way as well. 
and you'll see some videos from some of the, uh, the speaking engagements I've had. You'll see reviews of the book. You'll see some pictures from some of the events and engagements I've had. And there's, you know, good bio, get to know me a little bit. And uh, I'm always ready to talk. So anytime somebody wants to say hello, whether it's by phone or by email, I'm always ready. So I love I love talking yeah. to the 80s. And I think, you know, the, the 80s movies and uh, just 80s pop culture in general has so much to teach us about today's workplace. It really, really does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I Like I said, as I was reading it, I came up with so many other movies where I'm like, wow, I hope he does this one or this one. But yeah, so <laughs> definitely – um, thank you so much for for uh, coming on the show and for, for engaging with me to ask me about being on the show. I, I am so excited, um, you know, to have you on the show. And, you know, I got to admit, I went to your website, uh, which I think I posted this on LinkedIn. I went to your website and was just blown away because it was like I was looking at your, like, future engagements and stuff like that, and my show was listed. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I actually look like I'm somebody important now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. Away because... <laughs> you are. I mean, look oh, what you're doing. I, you know, we, we. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on you and what you're doing outside of your, um, you know, your core career. So, I mean, kudos to you as well, man. Oh, uh, thank you, thank you. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it was like one of those moments where I was like, you know, the show was, it's still growing. You know, it's still got a lot of growing to do, and and just to see that, I was like. Wow, I'm listed on a website that's not my own. <laughs> you know, so it was just one of those like yeah. exciting moments for me. I was like, wow, you know, this is it's actually growing. This is happening. So, so yeah, very cool. And uh, like I said, you know, anybody who's listening, definitely check Chris out. He has got so much great '80s knowledge, and his book is fantastic. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. So let's thanks, go ahead and again, close it out. Thank you, and car thoughts out.